Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Louisiana Fish Fry, a staple of Louisiana kitchens for nearly 40 years. Maker of batters, coatings, boils, tartar sauce, cocktail sauce, and more. Louisiana Fish Fry, because life needs Louisiana flavor. From our studios in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, this is Louisiana Eats. I'm Poppy Tooker. Culinary legacies abound in the great state of Louisiana, but few are as far-reaching as Al Copeland's, the man who introduced the world to Popeye's spicy fried chicken. His son, Al Jr., was there from the earliest days and has carried on the Copeland family tradition. On this week's show, we sit down with Al Jr. to learn the story of how it all happened, a tale that is now told in its glorious entirety in a new book, Secrets of a Tastemaker. And do you remember Chef Warren LaRue? He's the chef who invented Green Goddess salad dressing, went on to change New Orleans' culinary scene forever at his award-winning restaurant in Gretna, and then later worked with Al Copeland to create some of Popeye's most valuable secret recipes, like those one-of-a-kind biscuits and their classic red beans and rice. Now, Warren's family is carrying on his legacy with a new business, LaRuth's Gourmet Foods. We sit down with his son, Larry, Warren's grandson, Jacques, and the family's secret weapon, Jacques' French-born wife, Emily, to learn how they're carrying on the family tradition. We're exploring the legends and legacies of Louisiana's most colorful tastemakers on this week's Louisiana Eat. New Orleans is a city well-known for its colorful characters and larger-than-life figures. Among that pantheon of personalities is Al Copeland, founder of the Popeye's Fried Chicken Empire. Under Copeland's leadership, the New Orleans-based company opened over 700 restaurants across the globe. Today, Popeye's has grown to 3,000 stores worldwide. Copeland who died in 2008, is now the subject of a new cookbook memoir entitled Secrets of a Tastemaker, written by Chris Rose, Kit Wall, and the Copeland family. The book was a long time in the making, according to our guest, Al Copeland, Jr. Al worked with his father from the beginning and now carries on the family legacy. He joined us in the studio to talk about his father and explain what motivated him to write the book. Quite honestly, I've been working on the book for about eight years, and it, it hasn't been a primary focus, but it's been a side focus as we you know, run the businesses. And uh, uh, just very excited. I wanted it to be super special, uh, super first class, and, uh, and, and at, the, at the end of the day, I think it really is. 
gosh, it's really been your life's work. It was your first job. You started at the spice plant at 12, and you were in a store by 14? That's right. Well, Popeye's was founded, unfortunately, I'm going to tell my age, but Popeye's was founded in 1972. I was nine years old. And so I, I, I did some work, you know, on the weekends or whatever in the restaurant as it was founded. And uh, one of the stories there that's pretty interesting is we used to come home from school and take the labels off of some of the spices and the breadings so that for the first restaurant, even the very beginning, it was a secret recipe to go to that first number one store. You also cite in the book about... Um how you had to eat a lot of very bad food for your dad to work out all of his secret recipes. He spent a lot of years putting together the recipe. When he started testing chicken recipes, uh, he my mother would set him up. Uh, he'd come home from working in a donut business, and she'd have the kitchen set up. She'd have the flour. She'd have the chicken, and they'd mix a couple of different seasonings, and he'd give us some direction, and they would start frying. And if I was still up and not sleeping, uh, they would feed us some of the chicken and uh yeah, we tasted some pretty rough stuff there in the in the beginning. Well, I, I guess the smell of chicken frying is like a lullaby to you, huh? That it is. <laughs> I ate, I ate fried chicken for seven years of my life, six days a week, and I'm still here to talk about it. You know, it's so funny that um, he didn't the the great taste maker, at least the first time in, didn't trust his taste buds enough to go with that spicy flavor that he had developed and was such a ticket. Somehow he thought it might be too spicy, and that was that was his first run at this. It, what was the name of that first business before Popeye's? It was called Chicken on the Run, and it's an interesting story because uh, he wanted to do it. Uh, but he's also, one of the things that's made him so successful is he's extremely, you know, connected to the community and, and is a great common sense kind of guy, a street guy, and understands, you know, common sense. And when some of his advisors got a chance to taste the chicken for the first time, they said, this is fantastic chicken. It's spicy. And the problem is, back in that day, fried chicken business was uh, just a storefront. There were no seats and there were no drive throughs that existed in the country. Hmm. And so... Fried chicken was equal to pizza as it was a take-home-for-the-family type of product. And the common sense was that this is a great product, but kids won't eat it. And fried chicken is for families. So, you know, great idea, but I don't think it'll sell. And so we opened, uh, he opened a concept. He kind of went off of a Kentucky Fried Chicken knockoff and, and said, well, okay, well, that, make, that makes sense. He, he altered the recipe, and he tried something, uh, and he opened it as uh, Chicken on the Run. Your dad was a business genius with a 10th grade education, so his street smarts really served him well. And I love the references to all of Al's rules. Mm -hmm. um, number one, start out with determination. Goodness knows he certainly had determination. Number two, you've either got to be the best or not do it at all. That's right. But he was so smart, that third rule to know, have a roadmap when you mm -hmm. start out mm -hmm. because he certainly figured out where he wanted to go, and then he made that map about how to get there. 
That's right. No, he always had a plan. He actually uh, drafted it on the back of a napkin or uh, a piece of paper. It was always pretty scratchy, but no one else could put this vision on paper. It was only his <laughs> vision of how he was going to proceed. And your dad always claimed that that was Popeye Doyle from the French Connection and not Popeye the Sailor Man. How did the Sailor Man end up having to be on helicopters and boats? Well, uh, he did get the name from the movie The French Connection. Um, Popeye Dora was the, was the tough guy in the movie, uh, and he leaned over to my mother and said, I think I want to name it Popeye. She was in search of the name. She said, you're crazy. Popeye's eat spinach, not chicken. <laughs> and uh, he said, yeah, as he thought through the movie, he just caught it thinking about it. He said, no, because this is going to be a spicy chicken recipe, and it's going to be so spicy it's going to pop your eyes. So it had a, a kind of a different meaning. It was a, it was attempting to communicate, but Popeyes was a recognizable character. Uh, well, this went on for a little while until uh, King's Features took notice, who was uh, has control of the Popeyes character, and they came uh, with a cease and desist letter, and so it forced us to have to make a deal with them with Popeyes. Uh, they, he did make a deal with them, and included in that deal was the use of the characters. So then Popeye, the character, had become a fixture in Popeye's the Fried Chicken. One of the things he was superstitious about was dropping that first batch of chicken in the fryer at every new store. That's right. He, he was a superstitious guy. And if he had if something that kind of worked, uh, he wanted to keep that pattern. And, and uh, dropping the first drop of chicken in the restaurants was something that he did for quite some time. He felt like that was part of his success. One of the other things that your dad was really a genius at was acquiring talent. Mm -hmm. Anybody who drives around sees that Lamar Berry name on billboards mm -hmm. everywhere, but Lamar Berry really got his start working in marketing for your dad, didn't he? No, that's right. Uh, yeah, Lamar was really good, came on at the right time. That's uh, where I love that chicken from Popeye's came from. All the, all those commercials with uh, really bringing New Orleans uh, to the nation through the media uh, with the, the Mardi Gras and the dancing bands on Bourbon Street and, and the food and the culture was really brought to life for the world to see. Uh, you know, he was representing New Orleans in a very, very big way while he was promoting his chicken. And he would take pieces of our culture and use it in interesting ways in the marketing. For instance, the free chicken doubloons. <laughs> that was a time. We opened the pot pies on Canal Street. That restaurant, we had a balcony that would protrude out towards Canal Street that would be built for the Mardi Gras parades. And then came the Popeye's doubloon. And what we would do is throw this doubloon off the balcony and off floats. We'd give them bags that throw off of floats. And it was good for two free pieces of chicken right now, free. Didn't have to buy anything. You walk into any Popeye's restaurant, get head them your doubloon and get two pieces of chicken. Wow. Like free money. And people went crazy. The cops were begging us to stop throwing them. You know, people were climbing the poles and it was it was just 
sick. And, and, and people, we ran out of doubloons. We had to go back and recycle through the restaurants to keep throwing more doubloons. And it was, it was wild. But I tell you what, from that moment on, Popeye's has been the official chicken of Mardi Gras. It was just a genius move. Just a genius move. And again, he knew how to go out there and find the other geniuses. Anyone who knows anything about New Orleans food knows the name Warren LaRue. Mm-hmm. Warren was the biscuit guy, for one thing. The biscuits really changed profitability. It, it actually increased revenue by 25%. Yes, that guy was a genius. So not only did he want to do the biscuit um, and, and get it rolled out, but he wanted everyone to see it. Whenever he could, he put displays in all the restaurants of you seeing rolling, cutting fresh biscuits. Uh, but when he did this, he rolled it out through the system, and it's hard to believe that a that a, a not a side item, not a main protein product, uh-huh. but a biscuit could have that much influence on the overall business. Twenty five percent, you know, average volume increase across system wide. Well, it. it- became part of the whole tagline. It wasn't just chicken anymore. It actually became Popeye's Chicken and Biscuits. You know it's popular when you change the name to, to put the product in it. We've been speaking with Al Copeland Jr. The book, Secrets of a Tastemaker, chronicles the life of his father, Al Copeland Sr., and the rise of the Popeye's chicken empire. When we come back from a short break, our conversation with Al Jr. continues. Louisiana Eats returns after the break. Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with major support from Crystal Hot Sauce, made with three simple ingredients, aged red cayenne peppers, distilled white vinegar, and salt. Nothing artificial. Crystal Hot Sauce, how New Orleans does flavor. From Rouse's Markets, synonymous with seafood straight from Louisiana's waterways. Rouse's Markets, tastes like home. And from Camellia Brand, beans done right, a New Orleans tradition since 1923. Do your red beans cook up so creamy because they're cooked in Grandma's bean pot? Or is it her wooden spoon that makes them so special? Camellia Brand wants to honor your family's culinary keepsakes during their upcoming centennial. Share your treasures by emailing images and stories to me at poppy at poppytooker.com and we'll make sure you're part of the celebration. If you're just joining us, 
we've been exploring the life and career of a New Orleans legend, Popeye's fried chicken founder, Al Copeland. Copeland's the subject of a new cookbook memoir entitled Secrets of a Tastemaker, written by Chris Rose, Kit Wall, and the Copeland family. One member of that family, Al's son, Al Copeland Jr., joined us in the studio to share stories of his father's life. Al worked with his father from the very beginning. After a string of successes, Al Sr. hit a bump in the road. In 1989, Popeyes acquired rival Church's Chicken, which soon forced his company into bankruptcy. Copeland ultimately lost both Church's and Popeyes, but he wasn't out of the game just yet. Let's talk about that big bump in the road. It's it's another one of your dad's rules. You got to have a back door. Let's talk about the back door and what diversified foods and seasonings really did. Diversified foods and seasonings was the back door. Uh, you know, he, he entered into a move was like the goldfish that swallowed the whale uh, with the acquisition of Church's Fried Chicken. And uh, we had had about uh, 700 restaurants at the time. They were more than 2,000. And, uh, you know, uh, th- there were some savings and loan crisis, and there were some financial structural yes. problems back then. He was very, very proud of the fact that he didn't close any restaurants in that process, and he had $50 million in the bank. But in that process, Popeye's uh, recipe was declared by a judge a trade secret. Mm -hmm. And the only reason (laughs) that was was because no one except for him had ever had full exposure of what that recipe was. And for that reason, you know, he was awarded uh, the recipe, and uh, the franchisees really bought into Popeye's for the purposes of that recipe. It really represented what Popeye's was. Now the brand is owned by a big international company. It's still really New Orleans Cajun American flavor. Well, that's right. I mean, to this day, uh, I entered into a, uh, a contract with Popeye's um, it was in 2014. It's a 20-year contract to 2034 to supply him with all these recipes, all of the cooked foods, all the red beans and rice in the world are made at a manufacturing plant in Madisonville. Those things that make up Popeye's today, almost everything you taste, has some influence from diversified foods. He was busy with that, but your dad just wasn't a man to rest. He went on to create another brand that you're still successful with today, Copeland's. That's right. Now, Copeland's was founded in 1983. I'm proud to say on November 17th, we'll be 39 years old this year. The number one thing I take away from this whole thing is what a special family you come from and what a family business this remains today. What's happening with the third generation? Who's coming up after you, Al? Tell me about the business today. Well, I'm still young and still kicking. So, <laughs> yes, you are. Uh, I'm gonna. Um, I'm. I'm. I'm really uh, 
proud of what we've been able to accomplish, and I really give all credit to my team. I mean, they do a great job, and you continue to learn from my dad and hire the right people, qualify them, put them in the right spots in order to do the right job. Uh, that's allowed me to be successful in the businesses I pursue. Uh, the next generation really is my children. Allison uh, is leading the restaurant division. Uh, my daughter is a uh, director of purchasing. My, one of my daughters is uh, leading the marketing department. Uh, they represent, you know what the greatest thing about having family and business is they do the right thing when no one's looking. And it, that means so much that you know you can trust that you don't have to worry about the business, uh, that they they really care about it as much as you do. That was Al Copeland Jr. talking about Secrets of a Tastemaker, the book and its inspiration, his father, the one and only Al Copeland. you ever lucky enough to dine at LaRuth's restaurant? Chef Warren LaRuth opened his award-winning establishment in a little West Bank cottage in Gretna in 1966. The brilliant flavorist brought a whole new angle to New Orleans food. At LaRuth's restaurant, Warren created dishes that are now part of the Creole culinary canon. Things like Oyster artichoke soup, something he called Pitage La Ruth, was created there. And Warren was the first chef to top a crispy fried softshell crab with lump crab meat. After La Ruth's closed in 1991, Warren continued to impact the food world in deeply significant ways. Working with Al Copeland, Warren created the Popeye's Biscuit and their red beans recipe, too. His son Larry joined him in the consulting business, working closely with his dad until Warren's death in 2001. Today, the LaRuth family is carrying on Warren's culinary legacy with their new business, LaRuth's Gourmet Foods. The LaRuth team joined us in our Louisiana Eat studios to tell us more. We began with Warren's son, Larry LaRuth. My father was first a baker before he was a cook or a chef. He started out as a uh, helping his mother in a little sweet shop that she had. That's where he first got his hands into cooking or baking, really. Um, you know, he worked at the Jung Hotel. He worked at, you know, many other restaurants in New Orleans. And he went on. He, Uncle Sam grabbed him and stuck him in the Korean War. Mm. But there he was the cook for the General Bruce C. Clark that ran the Korean War. And he was his personal chef. Um, he came home from Korea, married my mother. He got a job with Procter & Gamble up in Cincinnati. And that's when he started to work on chiffon margarine. My dad did most of the base work for the world's first soft spreadable margarine, which was chiffon years ago. Your father was really a food scientist before 
as I understand it, that category existed. I don't know how he got that job with Procter & Gamble, but they also sent him to A.D. Little in Boston. A.D. Little was a school that would teach you how to use your tongue and taste buds and how to really profile foods and flavors and everything that would go into food. And he was very fortunate to go through like a six-month course there. And they would just tell you, you know, this part of your tongue is for sweet, this part's for, you know, salt and, you know, bitter, sour. And when we were young, my brother and I, my father used to sit there at breakfast and ask us, well, how does that cereal taste when you first put it in your mouth? And how does it taste when you chew it or How does it taste after you swallow it? A little did we know he was more or less kind of trying to set us up for success in teaching us how to flavor food. So when he came back from Cincinnati, worked in New Orleans for a while, then he went to work for Humco Oil in Sherman, Texas. Humco Oil owned Seven Seas Salad Dressings. That's when he started working on the Seven Seas Salad Dressing line, the late 50s, early 60s. You know, he worked there till my mother wanted to come home, till like 1965. And then he opened up LaRouche Restaurant in Gretna. It took about two and a half years for the restaurant to take off. But, you know, the food was always as good as it was from the beginning to the day we closed it. So, Larry, what were the dishes that your father developed at LaRouche's that people still remember and love today? Well, I'll start off with the appetizer. Um... Crab meat St. Francis. That was our mainstay. Uh, lump, jumbo lump crab meat, about four ounces on a scallop shell, and we used to put St. Francis sauce on top of it and sprinkle. We call red crumbs. It's just bread crumbs, some cheese, and a little bit of paprika. Uh-huh. Then on the soup, you know, he did the oyster and artichoke. That was, you know, kind of like his creation. And... Uh, Nobody's ever been able to duplicate our duck, which I'm kind of glad. <laughs> oh, that duck. I remember that duck. That, there was nothing like I don't know what was better, the duck or the sauce or the stuffing. It was, you know, all three of them together were wonderful. All of our dishes were created by my dad. There was nothing that we carried over from another restaurant or a hotel or anything else. But, yeah, all those recipes, everyone. Who would think to do a soft shell crab and put more lump crab meat on top of it? Nobody Nobody. did that before your dad. Nobody did it, you know. Living with my father was like going to school all the time. Really, it was like that to the day he died. When I was a child, we used to close our restaurant for a month every year. Give everybody a few weeks paid vacation, and we would go off to Europe. Well, when we go up to Europe every year, my dad would keep a notebook, one of small notebooks you put in your pocket. And whenever we go out and eat, he would draw a picture of everything that we ate and write down everything that we ordered and flavor profile to how it tasted. He was meticulous about record keeping. Um, everything had to be exact. I mean, we were exact down to the eighth of a teaspoon. That's that food science. Yeah, thing. and now all the recipes were done on 100% formula, and he turned them back into measurements, whether it be a liquid or a volume measurement. And he was real secretive about his recipes, too. He used to make people sign cooks, you know, an uh, NDA or a really? non-compete agreement. You know, you can't take 
Oh, and he wouldn't let him leave the restaurant with any kind of written material ever. Uh, my dad was just real protective of all that. Like this artichoke soup and the St. Francis sauce. We used to make that in big, you know, like eight gallons at a time. When we did that, we used to do the spice mixture on the side. It mm-hmm. was in a little paper bag. And, you know, if you could have all the ingredients, but, you, you know, you just go grab a bag of spices and dump it in and add the salt. Right. Because uh, yeah, the, the secrets. Was, so when your father passed away, did he leave you the recipes then? How did you no, get the recipes? I had to wait till my mother passed away. My dad did a big trust. And it was written in there that my mother could use it, but then in the end it all came to me. So I wound up with all the recipes, cookbooks, proprietary stuff, formulas, handwritten notebooks, and everything. My dad's records are all handwritten from like the early 50s. I bet my dad wrote to the moon and back a couple times by hand. And, you know, I can just go back and look at it. You know, it's it's phenomenal what my dad did. Next, we heard from Warren's grandson, Jacques LaRue, and the family's secret weapon, Jacques' French-born wife, Emily. So, Jacques, how do you come into the food business? Is this something that was just in your blood and you couldn't resist? Did I know I was going to do it? No, but I think deep down that was always a path that I was chosen to do, was to carry on. So, Emily, where are you from in France, and how did Jacques find you? So, I am from the Champagne region, uh, from Reims, and uh, I moved to the U.S. about uh, seven years ago. And, uh, yeah, I moved here for my job. Uh, I was working in the in a wine business, um, working for a small French producer of wine. And uh, I met Jacques uh, during Mardi Gras uh, in 2017. We started to know each other, and I realized that he really loves food as well, and we had that in common, and I remember also the first time I went to eat at Larry's house, I realized that they were very involved uh, in food, and <laughs> I was pleased because food is literally my biggest passion. So um, I knew that Jack wanted to do something with, with LaRousse, I mean, and I was working uh, with Larry when I was pregnant, and I was cleaning the record room, and I was seeing all those recipes and kind of <laughs> like, I mean, there was so much. And so I just knew there was something to do with it. Uh, and uh, so I've been working in the wine distribution um, and we knew we didn't want to open a restaurant. So I kind of came up with uh, the idea to start making the recipe, but more in a distribution way to sell it to retail or or restaurants um, instead of opening a restaurant. So we asked him if we could um, basically use the recipe, the legacy, present him the project with all the everything involved, how it's going to work and show him how a good idea was. (laughs) (laughs) What did you think, Larry? Well, I thought it was great. you know, be something that will give them a great sense of pride, and it does. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a wealth of of knowledge. You know, just sitting there, 
Warren makes it so easy for us because as Larry explained, everything is a formula. So it makes things much easier to have a very precise recipe and also something very important, consistency. Absolutely. And what has the customer reaction been? Um, it's all been positive, positive feedbacks. Everybody wants us to open up a restaurant, but uh, I tell them maybe. As I said, it's never out of the picture. I've been working full time for 10, 11 years, you know, and, and I've never been as happy with work. So, yeah, it's been a lot of fun and I'm just happy to continue doing it with my wife and my dad. That was Warren LaRue's son, Larry, his grandson, Jacques, and Jacques' French-born wife, Emily. To learn more about LaRue's Gourmet Foods and where you can find their products, visit LaRue'sGourmetFoods.com. What is so special about Warren LaRue's Vanilla? Stay tuned, and we'll answer that question when we come right back. I'm Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats. Edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Louisiana Fish Fry. Their new stuffing mix brings the flavor to your holiday table. Available in herbal or cornbread. And their brown gravy and marinade have your turkey covered. Louisiana Fish Fry. Because life needs Louisiana flavor. And from the St. Tammany Parish Tourist Commission, located 40 minutes north of New Orleans French Quarter, along the shores of Lake Pontchartrain. The delicious Tammany taste culinary scene and abundance of soft adventure attractions are among the many reasons to love the North Shore's charming communities. Fall on Louisiana's North Shore brings outdoor festivals and lots of holiday events. Find details on upcoming events, itinerary suggestions, and more at louisiananorthshore.com. Here's this week's culinary quiz question, brought to you with support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen. What is so special about Warren LaRuth's vanilla? Back in 1957, Warren LaRuth began crafting his own vanilla flavoring using a cold pressing method and finishing with real Madagascar vanilla beans that aged for an entire year in the extract. The resulting flavor is so distinct that you can cut the amount of vanilla used by half. It was the only vanilla ever used at LaRuth's restaurant and a product that Warren introduced to the retail market back in the 1980s. Available today from LaRuth's Gourmet Foods 
Each bottle still sports a real Madagascar vanilla bean, proudly carrying on the tradition of New Orleans' great chef, Warren LaRue. I'm Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats. My name is Pepper Balmer, and I am the president of Balmer Foods, maker of Crystal Hot Sauce. I'm Al Balmer, Jr., chairman of Balmer Foods and Pepper's Father. In Louisiana and across America, sit down at any restaurant table or peek into any kitchen cabinet, and there's a good chance you'll find a bottle of Crystal Hot Sauce. With their distinctive blue and white labels and green caps, each bottle is as iconic as the company that makes them. Balmer Foods, a third-generation New Orleans family business. From Al Balmer Sr. to Al Balmer III, better known as Pepper, three generations have shaped the company and helped make Crystal Hot Sauce the table mainstay it is today. The Crystal Hot Sauce story begins in 1923. That year, Alvin Balmer Sr. asked his future father-in-law for a personal loan to buy a snowball syrup production company on Chapatula Street. That sale also included a recipe for a hot sauce that would become their signature product. Al Balmer Jr. talked to us about it back in 2011. In that company's archives was a description of a product called Crystal Pure Louisiana Hot Sauce. My dad expanded on that formula, which was uh, stone ground cayenne peppers, vinegar, and salt, and produced crystal hot sauce, and then produced jams and jellies and canned goods and so forth on down the line. In the 1940s, the business was renamed Balmer Foods, and Al Sr. moved operations to Tulane Avenue in New Orleans' mid-city neighborhood. In 1952, Al Sr. was 50 years old when he and his wife Mildred adopted Alvin Balmer Jr. at birth. Al Jr. spent much of his childhood by his dad's side in the plant and began working there, unofficially, at a very young age. I started in 1962 when I was 10 years old. My father was actually cited by the then Department of Labor because I was working an old um, bell system switchboard, trunk and key switchboard. And uh, this labor inspector came in on another matter altogether. And I'm sitting there and he says, who are you? And I said, I'm Al Balmer. And what are you doing? Well, I'm working. Al Jr. would become officially employed by the company at the age of 16. After completing college, he continued to work his way up the ranks doing a variety of jobs. In 1980, he became CEO of Balmer Foods. Under Al Jr.'s leadership, the company stopped producing canned products and expanded its market overseas. Business continued booming until 2005 when the floodwaters of Hurricane Katrina destroyed the mid-city plant. Al Jr. remembered his thoughts not long after the storm, when he would return to the site where he practically grew up. So I would drive, you know, into New Orleans. I kind of begged and borrowed my way in on a business card, and I had some permits that let me come into Orleans Parish. And I would get up on the overpass and look at the building. And um, so I had to make up my mind. Do I 
rebuild the business or do I just let it go? And I had a an inner calling, if you will, to uh, you know do what I could to put it back on the on the map. You know, for no other reason than for the memory of my parents. And also, I felt an obligation to the employees that worked at the company. Despite many obstacles, Al Jr. moved the family business to Reserve, Louisiana, where in July 2007, they restarted operations. Today, the company's under new management. The new president, Al's son, Pepper. So my grandfather was Alvin Balmer Sr. My dad is Alvin Adam Balmer Jr. I am Alvin Adam Balmer III. My grandmother's Dottie Brennan. She was thought it was going to be too confusing to have three Alvins running around. So she told my mom and dad that enough's enough. His name will be Pepper and that's it. <laughs> and I've been called Pepper since the womb. Like his father, Pepper grew up at the factory something longtime Balmer Foods employee and VP of sales, Michelle Daniels, remembers vividly. <laughs> yes, I did remember when Pepper came into the world, and he was toddling around the company. <laughs> he would come running in my office to get his strawberry jelly cookies, and if I wasn't around, everybody said Pepper got upset because he needed his jelly cookies. And then when I'd give him his jelly cookies, they would look at me and say, Michelle, you bribing him. I said, yep, he's going to be my boss one day, and he's going to remember Miss Michelle. <laughs> At the University of Alabama, Pepper studied restaurant and hospitality management with a concentration on marketing. Upon graduating, Pepper and his father, Al Jr., were faced with a decision. Where was Pepper going to work? Al and Pepper's aunt, T. Martin of Commander's Palace, put together a plan. Well, I had wanted Pepper to work someplace else for two years. And nobody wanted to hire him because they knew where he was going to end up eventually. So uh, T said, I'll just take him to work with me, you know, for a couple of years. And it's not like he's working for you. And I said, well, you've got to go there and earn the respect of everybody. You can't walk in and have everybody think you're the fair-haired boy and you're going to sit in a chair with your feet propped up reading magazines. You've got to get out there and, and let them know that you're, you're behind them. It did start out, I was working in the restaurant, and then moved kind of back into the office area and just learning more about the ins and outs, not just of the restaurant business itself, but just business in general. I was sitting in the financial meetings, I was sitting in the planning meetings for events that were going to happen and learning the budgetary process of things like that, and just it was more of a deep dive into actual business. And so I always keep bringing up the fact about how I consider this as my executive MBA program. It, we had come to a time and pass where it, the decision needed to be made. Either I was going to go and stay at Commanders and work with Tan Lally, or I was going to come back to Balmer and work with Dad. And it just, I mean, as we already talked about, my name is Pepper. Uh, <laughs> I'm a walking billboard for the company. And it just, with my grandfather starting it, my dad running it, it just, the legacy that I want to leave is hopefully to my children soon one day as well. So... It really wasn't, it was a no-brainer that I was coming back. So he came into the company, and he worked under our quality control and product development manager, Ray Kate. We both told Ray, look, this is somebody coming into the company. What you can impart to him 
do that, but he's not a special character. I mean, he, yes, his name is Palmer. <laughs> but, you know, put that aside and just try to give him the knowledge that he needs. And so Ray did that, and Pepper just sat, sat there like a straw, sucking it all up. And he got working with the executives at the plant, plant manager, vice president of operations, prep manager, and all that. And uh, he just had the natural ability to make people follow him and lead him. And now he leads them. VP of Sales Michelle McDaniel's prophecy of Pepper's ascension to president of Balmer Foods eventually came to pass, but only after he worked his way up through the ranks. She shared her memory of his first day back at Balmer Foods after his time at Commander's Palace. Well, for me, it was exciting because I knew him since he was younger. He did get jelly cookies that day, by the way, <laughs> on the day he first started. And it, I was able to see him go from little to big, but to me it was great. And he came in, and he didn't walk in like, hey, I'm Pepper, I own the place. He wanted to learn. He respected everyone who was here for the years that they were here, for what they did, and he just learned from them. I mean, obviously, when you're coming into any new situation, you're going to have butterflies, and not especially as you were coming in as the boss's son, air quotes, on purpose. As I got more the confidence that I knew what I was talking about, I'd start projecting my voice in the meetings a little bit and kind of showing what I thought should be done. I hope <laughs> that I, I waited long enough before I started uh, using my voice, but I think everybody understood where I was coming from. They respected me to the point that I was working with them every day and that I, this was my family's legacy and that I'm, I want to see it through. Al, did you take any lessons from the way your dad brought you into the company, or did you create your own new way for Pepper? Well, I created my own new way for myself. <laughs> my father was a hard worker. He grew up in the Depression. Nobody gave him a thing, and he carried that through his life. God bless him. He taught me a lot. But I felt that for me to come into this business back in, you know, the, the late 60s, early 70s, if I was to come in, you know, carrying a bullwhip or, or you know, a stick and just going through and running ripshod over people was not in my best interest. So I wanted to cultivate people to think the way I did. And that's what I did for myself. He he took it to the next level. He did much better than I did. A credit goes a great deal to Pepper for that. I put all my trust in my son. It's unique because Pepper and I are both only children. I have a a fairly large family that is kind of scattered. Pepper has a very large family, this core right here. But we're still, at the end of the day, we're only children. And I always came in this company, and I didn't have brothers and sisters, so I made my own employees of the company. And they'll tell you that to this day, that I, I view them as family. And, you know, I would do anything in my power for them you know, they got in trouble or something, I would try to help them any way that I could. And Pepper has that same philosophy. And that's really the only way you can, you can be if you have a family-owned business, privately held, and you have people that work for you, you try to instill a feeling of family, and I think it comes back to you many times over. 
That was Al Bomber Jr., Pepper Bomber, and Michelle McDaniels of Bomber Foods, makers of Crystal Hot Sauce. That's it for this week's edition of Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Catch up on previous editions of Louisiana Eats on poppytooker.com, where over a decade of Louisiana Eats is available for pod and webcasting, along with recipes and cooking class videos, too. And don't forget to rate us on your preferred podcast platform. Louisiana Eats is made possible with major support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, Louisiana Fish Fry, Camellia Brand Beans, Crystal Hot Sauce, Rouse's Markets, the St. Tammany Parish Tourist Commission, and from D'Agostino Pasta, handcrafted in Louisiana just as it's been done in Sicily for centuries. Visit D'AgostinoPasta.com to learn more. Support for Louisiana Eats also comes from Gulf Coast Blenders, dry ingredient blends with New Orleans roots. For more than 30 years, Gulf Coast Blenders has produced custom spice and dry blends for restaurant concepts across the country. To learn more, visit gulfcoastblenders.com. Original theme music composed by David Pomerleau and performed by Johnny Sketch and the Dirty Notes. Big thanks to senior producer Joe Schreiner, producer and special projects manager Reggie Morris, producers Blake Longlinay and Steve Himmelfarb, and to our business manager and social media maven, Maddie Mulladew. Catch up with us anytime on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, too. Louisiana Eats is a production of Poppy Tooker Broadcasting. Mm-hmm.